me with eggs and flour and bake me for 40 minutes. Hello and welcome to Screen Masters with me Bav. Me Fluff. And today we are back round to TV. So we are going to be taking a little journey through the expanse. Which is a TV show started by Sci-Fi some years ago, I think Correct. it was, wasn't yes, it? it was, yeah. Uh, and then it went to Netflix? No, uh, it was cancelled Sci-Fi kept making it, but then it yeah, got Netflix, It was, was cancelled after season three, yeah. and then picked up by my beloved friend, Mr. Jeff Bezos. Indeed, Amazon. Mr. Jeff Bezos, he's the only person who likes him. Um, uh, just because he saved the expanse, yep, generally. Um, not because of his work practices. Um, <laughs> it just reminds me of the South Park episode. Yeah, yeah, we, let's not go there. Yeah, we're treading on water. Exactly. So, um, before we get into it, we are going to hit some news. Uh, I believe Fluffy has some news for us. Yeah, not a lot. But I would just briefly like to turn to the page where I made these notes. And I am, I okay. am, you see. Because now I'm we're going to go... After the last episode, obviously mm -hmm. a bit of time has passed. So sure. now I would like to quote the famous words of Jimmy Cliff and say, I can see clearly now, the rain has gone. <laughs> okay. So yes. That one popped into my head about three seconds after the Travis one. Right, okay. As right. an answer so got, to the Travis ah, one. Ah, right, see? understood. Works, understood. works. So yes, hello, welcome to this episode. We'll get into the news in a minute, but first let's just do the housekeeping. So you can find us on YouTube. As you can see, we've got a lovely new background now. You can see our lovely faces, he says. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, but go over to the YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, type Screen Masters, Bite Back Media. You'll find us. Give us a like, subscribe, leave a comment if you want to on any of the videos. We check them all. Uh, if you want to support us more directly, you can go over to the Patreon site. Um, and search for us there and donate at any tier from 5, 10 and 15 dollars with tiers of 1, 10 and 15 dollars exactly uh, if you wish to but you know if you don't want to do that just do us a favor the YouTube we can monetize that as long as we just if 10% 1% of our audience of our listening audience went over and liked that page it'd be damn near on its way to being monetized. So if you could just do that for us, even if you don't watch the YouTube, I don't care. Just please go and put that like on there and that subscribe to the uh, feed and that will help us out no end. For how to get to all of this stuff, it is as usual, facebook.com forward slash the screen masters. Top of that page, there is a pinned post with links to all of the places you can find us, including your favorite podcast networks that are, we assume you're listening to us now if you're not watching us. But there we go. I've had enough of that, so let's throw it over to you, and let's get some news. Okay, so nothing too major on the news front, just a couple of points uh, which I'd spotted over the last, I don't know, week or so, which I thought would be worth mentioning, stuff that you may not know. Mm -hmm. uh, firstly, that uh, Doctor Strange 2 has lost the director in Stock, oh, Scott, Scott Derrickson. Derrickson. He has, uh, due to creative oh, no. differences. No, I yes. knew you were going to say that. Yes, the age-old creative differences approach. Oh, brilliant. Yes. So we've got our first phase four that's dropped it because of yes. creative differences. Um, all I can say is that he is still on board as uh, an exec producer, uh, so he's still in, involved in that capacity. But yes, he has uh, his left as director. At the moment, there is no front runner uh, for taking the no, position no. on but we shall we shall see about that one um, I mean it, it's quite a, a hefty film it's got a lot baggage with it I feel for I think there's the a lot to do with it because series, Scarlet Witch is going to be in it and yeah. so her series must affect it in some yeah. way and 
there's, I've read a bit of rumoured casting this week that uh, Christian Bale might be joining the cast, but they're not so, sure in yes. what role. So yeah, so I've read similar, similar things. At this point. Um, uh, hmm. Obviously this being uh, mid, early to mid-January at this point, well, that's, that was the last we knew at this point, is he's supposed to be being cast, but we don't know who has. Hmm. But, oh dear. Yeah, uh, another thing, another on a Marvel side, mm -hmm. is Hawkeye has been delayed indefinitely at the moment. It's been pushed back, apparently. Well, this is the thing. That's when they strange. say indefinitely, it's like basically they've shoved it back on the yeah. on the back burner of the slate. I don't know whether this is because their initial first choice, Haley Steinfeld, for the role of Kate Bishop, has kind of fallen through, and that they're not really sure where to go with that. Oh yeah, she'd have um, been a fab. Cat. I would Bumblebee again the other day. I She's so good She's in that very film. Very good. So we shall see. Uh, obviously, uh, Scarlet Witch kind of got pushed a little bit closer so it's been pulled because i think the the rumor mill on that is that it's doing quite well everything's pretty much done so they pulled that a little bit closer so we'll be getting that i think before the end of this year interesting so yeah but it's it's kind of shaken things up a bit i think she hulk in there ms marvel in there i think they're obviously leading a bit of a difference uh in, in terms of what they wanted now that they've Put the slate in place. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, this won't disappear entirely because I still think you know a Hawkeye series would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, and like you say, I was all in for a Kate Bishop one, definitely. Yeah. I mean, having read the is it Matt Fraction David Archer yes, run yeah. on the the Hawkeye yeah. comic, I love that. I've got that in yeah. trade paperback. It's a fantastic so, yeah. run. Yeah, hopefully that 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 won't be delayed indefinitely. Indefinitely. You know, definitively. Yeah, then we'll come back again. I'd like to see that. Yeah, and the final bit of news, which um, came as quite a pleasant surprise for me. Ex Machina, the Brian K. Vaughan graphic novel, is being turned into a movie. Yeah. By Legendary Actually, Pictures do I want to say yay? Well, this is the thing. Is it going to be one movie, two, or three? I mean, there's quite there's a, a lot. There's a lot. There. There's a lot. Uh, what so, does it cover? Ten years? Uh, it covers a good. I, I would say maybe ten. Because it like years? starts yeah, it at the beginning like, and it's like oh five. Yeah. Or no, it's like in the we're in the present day. We're and in the present like, day. Oh blah 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 happened back. in yeah, this yeah. year, and then we go back and we lead the story up to that point, don't yeah. we? Yeah. So for those who don't know, Ex Machina is a graphic novel by uh, Brian K. Vaughan um, about a guy who becomes the mayor of New York City, uh, but previous to that, he was actually called the Great Machine. Uh, hero of the city uh, after being infected with uh, kind of a, an alien techno virus, isn't it? And uh, and so he gains the ability to talk to machines, um, and and it's very very topical because there is a nine eleven scene, uh, which which when I read it I was like, well, okay, well we're, we're touching that. Which again, you know, it's been long enough that maybe they can. Do something on those. Either way, it's a Brian K. Vaughan. Well, it was uh, an alternate timeline. It was an alternate timeline. Another alternate yes. history like yes, Tarantino it was yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's totally distances itself from the world we understand. Yes, of course. It yeah, deviates yeah. itself yeah. off at that point. Uh, but yeah, so another Brian K. Vaughan. So we've now got X Machina. We've got Why the Last Man working on the TV side, nice. and we've also got Paper Girls as well, which I had finished reading and. Yeah. I'm intrigued to see where all this uh, all this stuff is going. So, uh, just a couple of notes. He's like the new Robert there, Kirkman. They're like, hey, let's pick up everything you've ever done. Pretty much. And then only one of them works. Yeah. But ho hopefully, Brian K. Vaughan's stuff's good enough to work in, in many forms. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. I hope so. Yeah. Because he's, he's written some great stuff. Yeah, I mean, the only news I've seen Marvel wise is um, our friend uh, Kamal. 
Kamal Nanjiani yes. posted a picture of himself looking ridiculously ripped because yes. he had to get ripped for yes. his role in and the Eternals. Yes, and apparently like, porn sites have taken his image and kind of used it to publicise their own sites, apparently. Oh, really? Uh, because they've gone, yeah, check this guy out. And I don't really understand the, the link between them. I quite liked his yeah. post because it's like, I would never do this. But I've been working for about nine months, <laughs> so just every day has been eating this stuff that I've been told to eat and being in the gym. Yeah. So bollocks, I'm going to put a picture of myself yeah. up topless to show you. Criticise him all you like, but guess exactly. what? The guy's clearly gone through some stuff. You know, I mean, I've seen him in Silicon Valley. He's not the buffest guy in the world. He's, that's just not his. So the fact that he's gone out there and to the gym day after day, week after week, and gone, you know what? I'm going to sharpen my progress. More, more, more play to you, man. Mm. Yeah, why not? Why not indeed? Just reminds me of the Ricky Gervais' comment at the Golden Globes when he said about, do we have a category for the uh, uh, for the biggest junkie in Marvel movies? Yes. Because <laughs> he was like, you're not actors anymore. You're yes. just athletes yes. who spend all day in the gym, yeah. eat loads of chicken and take steroids. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay. It's not pretty much too dissimilar to what the reality of that is, I'm yeah, sure. No, I'm not going to say steroids. Maybe not the steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> it is funny, though. But... Um, yeah, because, like, yeah, I can't imagine. They, they all seem to do so much work, and it's just days and days in the gym and eating chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Plain boiled chicken. Or Plain boiled chicken. Yeah. Oh, lovely, God. lovely. Unless they're vegans, in which case I don't know what they eat. I have no idea. It's like some yeah. wrestlers are vegans. Yeah. What the hell do they eat? Yeah, I know CM Punk was... Because uh, all the wrestlers you hear, they're like, yeah, I found a chicken place where I could just get plain chicken breast, and I just ate plain chicken breast while I was on the road. And it's like, what, what do those guys do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I'm sure it'll mess with their diet and, and, yeah. and things like that, and how they maintain the yeah. protein. There's a question for another podcast, another day. Yeah, there you go. That's a, yeah, yeah. Doing that probably isn't a very good idea, because you probably can't hear the microphone very clearly, because I've got a mug in front of my well, face. Why, why have you got a mug in front of you, Because I was going to take a sip, and then I you, I wanted to say something. All right, then. Yeah, let's, let's digress. Anyway. <laughs> go on, then. This is your one. Right. The Expanse. Let's explore it. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I chose this one uh, as I'm a very big fan of a TV series called The Expanse, uh, which is a sci-fi show which is based on the novels of James S.A. Corey. Now, this is actually a pen name uh, of two individuals. Now, one of them actually used to be the personal assistant to George R. R. Martin. Oh, no. Yes. Yeah, so, it was uh, a... Uh, fake name. Yeah, 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 it is. Uh, so two dudes uh, who uh, kind of came together. Pseudonym. Uh, pseudonym, yeah. And uh, started writing this stuff. And you know what? Compared to, uh, you know, the books of George R. R. Martin, I thoroughly enjoy them even more so. Um, so we are a good, I don't know, eight, maybe nine novels in now. Okay. So it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a novel or so behind. Uh, but that's just because uh, I refuse to buy hardbacks because they're yeah, too fair. heavy to hold. And it's that thing, when you, if, you, if your first one's a paperback, yeah. you kind of want the rest of it yeah, a exactly. paperback, don't you? You don't want to mess it yeah, up. Exactly. Uh, right, okay, so just to kind of cover the, the general plot of the series, we, we're going to kind of break it down. When I was plotting this podcast, it was not the easiest one for me. I didn't know how to approach this for very many reasons. Now. I'm going to cover the plot, I'm going to cover the cast, and then I'm going to cover the science behind the show before we kind of delve into season by season. Cool. Um, it wasn't the easiest way of, of trying to figure this out, but there is so much for me to cover mm. that I figured let's do it in this way. So, the general plot, uh, you know, set hundreds of years into humanity's future. 23rd century, I want to say. Yeah. I think the 23rd century is mentioned at yeah, some point. Yeah, sounds about right. Sounds um, about right. I mean, it's a good, you know, couple of hundred years, so mm. yeah, I'd say yeah. 20, 23rd, 24th century. Uh, the solar system has slowly been colonised, 
you know, Mars is, is now colonised. A number of asteroids and various other uh, entities have also been colonised to a certain degree. Um, Mars and Earth are kind of the two main factors of, uh, of the system. The belt, as it's referred to, um, kind of holds it all together. So we've got people living out on asteroids, on Ceres Station, on various other uh, kind of similar asteroids. They kind of are the glue that holds everything together. They mine ores and water from all of the local asteroids and things like that for the benefit of Mars and for, for the benefit of Earth. Um, so what happens is basically when an individual named James Holden answers a distress call uh, for a ship which is in distress, turns out that the whole system is going to kind of be at odds and it begins a search for answers to a huge conspiracy which will change the future of humanity forever. Now that's quite a... Uh, I know, love a that loose... sentence. That's, that's written by a marketing department of a team. I wrote that myself, did I you? Did your, I wrote you that myself. You should have a job in marketing. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the loose plot of it. Um, we will cover the seasons one by one as it goes, but one of the things that actually attracted me to this is, is also the completely diverse cast of people I've seen before, people I've not seen before, newcomers, uh, experienced veterans. So I'm going to quickly run through some of the characters just so that we've got uh, an understanding. So we've got um, Christian Abasarala, uh, played by uh, Shariah Agadushlu. I don't know. Right. Because I know her name. Yeah. And I... I wrote it down, and then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to call it Avasarala. Yeah, Avasarala, yeah. Uh, who is one of my favourite characters, not only in the book, but in, in, the, in the TV series. She's of Persian descent, the actress, yes. and I absolutely adore her. She played a... She was the terrorist's parents in a series of 24. Yes, she was. Yes, indeed, yes. And I remember from that and various other She's things. been in a, a great many things. She's um, awesome. Basically, a political power on Earth, kind of um, a heavy presence on, on Earth as uh, somebody that kind of oversees the government, etc. Uh, we've got Thomas Jane as uh, Josephus Miller. Uh, I mean, this. I mean, what, what a casting. I mean, honestly, I could not think of anybody better. Yeah, obviously, I haven't read the book, so I don't, I don't know whether it fits it, but I, he's perfect. He is I can't perfect. imagine anyone else doing that role. Uh, we've got Stephen Strait, who I hadn't realised was in. Uh, was it uh, 1 million BC or something like that? Oh, really? He was the main guy in that, which I never yeah, knew. Yeah, I've never recently. heard of him. Yeah. Never heard uh, of him. But again, so playing the, the kind of main protagonist in many respects, James Holden. Um, we've got uh, a Brit, Dominic Tipper, uh, as Naomi Nagata. Uh, he was just absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I absolutely love her. The fact that there's a Brit in there as well always, always, always pleases me. Hmm. A Brit with the name Dominique. Should as well. Yeah. Um, Wes Chatham as Amos Burton. A truly wonderful character that really doesn't even describe the depths of, of how we get through to, to this guy as, as the series progresses. You you slowly uncover little bits, but very brutish looking uh, he, character. He and is. He's got so much depth. He is my favourite character. I figured that he might be. A long way. And when I first saw him, I... Because, you know, we're both huge fans of Firefly, and mm -hmm. I think you can draw comparisons between the two. Um, a big, at certain points anyway, certainly sure. in like season two, there's a very big feeling of the crew of the Rossi. Yeah. And they feel like yeah. a proper crew family, you know, we start to get that feeling. Um, and yeah, the first time I met Amos, I was like, oh, so you're Jane. 
you're the Adam Baldwin role, you're just the brute meathead who's an idiot, you know, who's just one dimensional. But like you say, with him, just the more it goes, and you see him react to things, you're like, huh, I didn't think you'd react that yes. way. Yes. But it doesn't seem out of character because it makes sense. And to me, he wrote, did you ever read Mice and Men at school? Many, I read it for English Lit. Yeah, yeah. He reminds me of Lenny. Okay. Who was the one who wanted the rabbits mm. and the alfalfa fields. Mm. But loved rabbits so much that he squashed them too, he squeezed them too hard and mm. killed them. And he, 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 when he finds someone that he likes or is nice to him, he's like, I'm going to make sure that no one ever hurts yeah. you. As we, as and, we learn And it's like, on. wow. Yeah. And it just totally makes me think of Lenny because he is this apt... He will kill someone, and he has got no emotion at times. Yes. Like you say, as we go through, there's, there's bits where he's talking to someone, and they're like, he's like, look, I know you're angry, and it's because I did this, and you want me to say sorry. I'm not going to, yeah. so can we just carry on? <laughs> and he's like, huh, that's fair enough, actually, because then they've got the choice of going, no, you're a dick, I don't want to have anything to do with you, yeah. or going, yeah, all right, let's just crack on. Yeah, his, uh, his relationship with other people later on develops and hopefully... Oh, like I say, we'll, I've got we'll, a few scenes yeah. particularly I've picked out yeah. as we go through. Ho hopefully we'll get, we'll get but to But yeah, the point is, that. he isn't the one-dimensional meathead that no. you think he's Absolutely going to be. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, Cass Amber as uh, Alex Kamal. That guy has a name that should be in Star Wars. Like his real name, oh, right. Cass Anva. <laughs> right. Sounds like yeah. a character from Star Wars. <laughs> okay, like, yeah, I, yeah. I saw it, because I saw it on the, uh, I was watching it on Amazon Prime, so it's got like the little x-ray thing where you see the cast down the side, and I flicked it just to see what his name was, and I was like, Cass Anva. I thought his character's name was Alex. Yeah. And I went, oh, shit, his real name is Cass Anva. That's yeah. cool. So he's the Martian pilot who, again, we, we discern a bit more about his, uh, his history as, as the series progresses. Uh, the great Chad Coleman as Fred Johnson. Oh, I mean, I love Chad Coleman. Coleman. I mean, he's great so many I'm things. not right. He was Tyrese? Tyrese in Walking Dead, yeah. Yeah, all too briefly, so we won't go on that. Uh, he, also, he also appears in, in their best show on TV, uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, does he? Uh, yes, he does. Uh, we've got, as the, as, the, as the series progresses, we've got a couple of other additions. I'm, just, I'm literally just naming a couple more. Uh, Frankie Adams as Bobby Draper, who... I fan. really didn't didn't like to begin with. Absolutely falling in love with Bobby. Fan fucking tastic she's character. Absolutely fan fantastic. Fantastic. And again, as we get through to some of the later seasons, I've got things to say about her because I wanted yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted um, more of her. Cara G. Excuse me. Cara G. As drummer, uh, who is kind of um, Fred Johnson's number she's one. She's really interesting. Really interesting character. And like the actress as well. I'm not sure where she's from. She's got really. I think she is voice. British. I believe she's British. Could is be. She? Could be wrong. Uh, uh, we've got Jared Harris as Anderson Dawes, who is just a phenomenal character. Um, I don't feel that I got to know him that well. You do, it's, but it's, I think he's in the first season, isn't he? And he's I, in the first I, season. I'll be honest, I didn't watch all of yeah, it. I, yeah. I watched recaps for season yeah. one and two, and then did three and four because I haven't yeah. seen them. Um, yeah, he pops up a little bit more in in the books, but I understand. As is everything, you know, with, with TV to, from books, sorry, to TV, they've had to make concessions yeah, here, yeah. there, and everywhere, and I understand that. Um, I'm hoping that at some point, at a later point, he will appear again because his character is very important to some of the kind of developments. Because he's as still, he's still there. Yes. I'm thinking of season four, and we see like Chad L. Coleman and him yeah. pictured together on Correct. a thing, don't yeah. we? So yeah. he is still there and still an active character. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe Jared Harris is too busy, they can't I afford to get him back for the no, bit. Or like you said, maybe they're just holding his story back I a bit. I think it is. I think and it then is. we'll see it in yeah. when it becomes relevant. Because although he may play a bit part, 
occasional slides, like uh, a conversation over, you know, into space or, you know, uh, type beam, as they call it. Type beam, yeah. Um, aside from those kind of conversations, a bit more to the meat of, of this role doesn't come until a little bit later. So okay. I'm hoping that he does return. Um, uh, Terry Chen as Prax, who you can't help but you know mention because I mean he's he's a great addition to the cast. It's, it's a shame that he's not in it for as long uh, without giving too much away. Uh, and then finally, I'm just going to mention one guy from the later series, uh, Burn Gorm. Uh, Burn Gorman. Yeah, as uh, as Mercury. See that for uh, me. He's, I have... he's brilliant. Absolutely yeah, he, he, brilliant. He is fantastic, and I've got some notes on him as well. Yeah, I, I, I saw him. Was like, oh, it's you. Yeah. Because I've not known yeah. his name. Because for me, he's Charlie Day's sidekick in Pacific Rim, and I can't remember anything else he's been from. I, I tell you what, though, if you look at his IMDb page. He's in Torchwood. He's in. Uh, he was also in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, no, because he. If you look at his IMDb picture. It's like him in. Like nineteenth, uh, like Victorian regalia with oh, a really? wig on and stuff. It's a hilarious picture. Oh, God, have or to maybe it was out. on the X-ray on the Amazon Prime, the, right, the cast okay. bit again. But the picture they had of him wasn't a standard headshot. It was like him in full Victorian oh, regalia, looking like he was in a period drama. Oh, it's really God. funny. Just uh, as a side note. Yeah, yes, no, I I've love seen him. him in a good few things. Where's Ashford? I've got Ashford. Ashford. No, look, I've got Ashford there. I Just I fucking love Ashford. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, because I remembered Ashford at later point, I haven't actually got the answers. Yeah, I don't have the answers. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is to name a few. There are so many other people. Elizabeth oh, yeah. Mitchell, I know, pops yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I really can't stand her as an actress. Oh, I hate and her. I was hoping that she wasn't going to drag it down. I Unfortunately, she did drag it down. Plays the same. I mean, they've got the right person for the role. Yes. For the role that she plays, yes. I yeah, she suits it. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like I've just. I feel like I've seen her in about three TV shows, and she's played the same mm -hmm. character in all three TV mm -hmm. shows. And it's like, oh, come on. Yeah, oh, she also knows. appears. See, this is the thing. She also appears in series, and then they get cancelled. And I'm like, I don't want you to appear in my series because I. I don't, don't think want she's the reason they cancelled no. Lost, but no, because she only turned up in season two, and they still managed five more Was after she, that. Only so. two she appeared. Oh my good. I no, thought... she popped up in season two because that was the first but, time we saw the tail oh, section, okay. and we got the encampment that she was living in with oh, Ben. Yeah, right. Okay. At the, end, at the beginning you, of season you remember two. It, you season clearly one. remember it a lot, lot I'm better. I'm sure it's season two, not season me. three. Because season three, I'm fairly sure the end of season two into season three of Lost was the flash forward episode. We may have to come Where we thought we were flashing actually, back, yeah. and actually it turns out we were flashing forward into the future. I wouldn't want to watch it all, but I think it's one that might I wouldn't want to watch it all either, but I, 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 I do think it's one of those series yeah. again that's been coloured by the ending. Mm. I still say. You caught me at season two of that show. Mm. I was so fucking in. Oh yes, I was. I fucking loved it, but I don't think you can throw away all of that goodness. There is some fantastic stuff in there. How emotional was it when Charlie got killed? How emotional was it when this happened? When that early on, there was some really good stuff. It's just yeah, unfortunately, all the shit they were setting up, they got no fucking idea how to pay off. That's a conversation for another day. Anyway. We'll focus on uh, on, on what, it's good. as long time. as you've got Ashford there somewhere. Yes, no, no. I, I did mention it, Ashford. Unfortunately, I didn't ju just didn't jot down the answer's name. So apologies for that if you're you're listening or watching. Uh, right, so, but like I say, the, the cast is absolutely immense. Now I've heard it in in loads of things, like talking about oh, you know, sci-fi shows don't show uh, you know people of ethnic origins in in, uh, in in prevalence and stuff like that. And I'm like, have you ever watched the fucking Expanse? Because if you haven't, you probably should do. They made a whole thing about Sinequa Martin jo Green. Martin Green, sorry, becoming like the the face of, of Star Trek. Don't know if you watched The Expanse, but I'm pretty sure they've kind of got you beat in that respect. I think it's difficult though because if you look at the first series, mm -hmm. who drives the first series? 
Thomas Jane. Yeah. And well, uh, Holden and Miller. Sure. Drive the first sure. series. But that's not there to are say a huge that the amount other... of women or you know they're white American males. Yeah. But at the same time, I would I would argue that uh, Abbasarala and Naomi Nagata, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Those and Casanovar is obviously of, yeah. of ethnic descent. You know, yeah. I don't know where he's from. So, but, but, uh, as as it goes, the, the like you say, there, there are people of color. There are females yeah. in prominent roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, not playing second fiddle to to white males all yeah. the time and yeah. getting one over on the white males sometimes yeah. and then showing to be I mean particularly in the most recent series the the who is it who's going for the positions of power mm-hmm. it's women yeah it's a woman walking away or it's, it's a woman versus a woman so you, you know you're jumping ahead Sorry. jumping ahead but that's like a general comment that's anyway uh, but no yeah it is this cast is absolutely fantastic it just gets seems to get better and better as the, the years progress I only have one and we've already spoken about this off pod that they recast Avasarala's husband yeah. in the latest series, which really did, yeah, uh, I, really I, did annoy me. I don't. I mean, it's not even that I, I. I'm upset that they recast someone who I think fit perfectly with her yeah. and who she had real chemistry with and played off. Yeah. Because I've seen those two play a family, play a husband and wife before mm-hmm. in another TV show. I'm sure I have. I, I I would almost go as far as to say he was the Muslim, like the the, the dad in the thing, but I don't think he was. I think it was the. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire, the guy who's asking the questions. Yes, 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 yes. I think I know he, he was the dad. Yes, I think you're right. I think mom. you're very right. But I'm sure I've seen her and the original guy, like you say, from series one, two. Yeah. I, I'm sure I've seen them as a couple before. Yeah, so that was the only upsetting cast. I just don't think the other guys are as good an actor. I, I just didn't. I, there was no chemistry between the two of them. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so, I mean, that was that was the cast. I mean, brilliant cast uh, for, from my side. Um, now let's have a look at the science of, of the expanse. Now this is one of the things where loads of interviews and loads of conversations I've read from you know NASA uh, people who, who've actually stated that there is a good portion of the science in this show that isn't science fiction; it's science fact, and I absolutely adore that. The fact that they went to kind of a, a space agency uh, kind of co- uh, conference of some description. Mm-hmm. Uh, now this was just as the series had been cancelled for the third season and they went to this conference and Jeff Bezos was there at the same time and announced to the very audience there that he picked it up for the next season. Nice. And the whole room went into a round of applause because everybody there loved the show just as much as Jeff Bezos. So good man Jeff Bezos. Uh, right, so, but yeah, to get into the science, right, so there's loads of different notes that I've put on here. Uh, now, one of them, you saw the notes earlier, and you were you were a bit dubious. Go on, so I'll let you actually read the sound. The right. sounds of, of the ships. Now, unlike other sci-fi shows, you know you can't have, you know, your Star Trek where it's, you know, you, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah it's, it's not going to happen. Off into the distance. You can't have your Firefly where there is completely muted. There's no sound. sound. There is no sound because, because there is no sound in space. Exactly. As we just know. did it properly. However, I understand, and I will argue the fact that for a series which has an emphasis on dramatic effect, there is a certain level of noise that needs to be generated in order to kind of show the ship is powering up. But it's not, it's, it's subtle. The ship kind of, you know, reverberates because the power is actually coming on. It's hummed quiet, literally there is silence. When the, when the engine's not running, there is pure silence. When it isn't, there is a bit of noise. There's a flame, you get the sort of... Yeah, exactly. Flame noise behind Exactly, the when, when they're firing their guns, you're not really getting the sounds of pew pew in space. You're getting like as though it's just ejected from the you know from the cannons and stuff like that. So 
that's something which I kind of I understand. Um, and oh, I get it, and I've I've learned to live with it because mm-hmm. Firefly is the only show that's that I've ever seen that has done sounds in space properly. Yeah. I, you know, because everyone else, like you say, I get it. You need to do it. You want to do it for dramatic effect yeah. or to imply that something's happening or so that when they you can hear the engine and then suddenly you can't hear the engine mm. and you know something's wrong or you know I get it. But yeah, I just yeah. It isn't right. It isn't no, science. I get it. But at the same time, you could say the same about Star Wars and yeah. Aliens oh, and every other friggin' absolutely. Like I say, it's, it's, there, Firefly is the exception to the rules. It's the only one that's bothered to obey the rules. Yeah. But there you go. Um, so we've got the Epstein drive, which is a fusion drive, uh, basically more realistic than any warp Why drive or fastball line. What's that? Epstein. Because that's the name of the character that comes up with it. Yeah, I know. It's just, Saul Epstein. That name's quite topical at the minute. So carry on. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they didn't come up no, with that. I hope they yeah. didn't. Uh, and there is a wonderful little segment in in uh, one of the episodes which kind of explains like how he develops this. It, it was kind of purely by accident that he develops this drive, but it gets to the point where when he's actually out in space and he's using this drive, he realizes that he can't turn the engine off. So he ends up dying as a result of the gravity imposed on him because he's going at these immense speeds that he wasn't prepared for. And he's basically stuck at a chair and he can't move his arms because if he does, it's basically going to snap in half and he has no way of turning it off. And as as horrible of a thing it is, it just shows that he was a scientist and that was his experiment. And I, I really enjoy that. Again, it's kind of emphasised a little bit in a separate chapter to the books. It's kind of a separate thing. So the fact that they included it in the series, I was, I was very impressed by. Um, Zero G is one of the biggest things that I think is is really prevalent on this, which is um, the impact of bone density, like being born in space. You've got the Belters, uh, a culture and a people who are born and bred and live in space. They have no gravity for them to be able to understand like bone density and, and how it can impact. So they have to have drugs in order for them to be able to live in space. In the books, it's described a little bit more that they're a little bit more elongated. They're all very tall, very thin, because that's as a result of living in a zero g environment. Yeah, there's no gravity pulling, restricting your weight, your height growth. Exactly. Um, it's also an interesting on that zero g. I, I, it's only something I realised the other day. I do think there's, I do think they've got a problem there a little bit, but I'll, we'll get to that later. But I, I never thought about like Star Trek, for example. There's always gravity on the mm-hmm. ships and stuff. And you, you watch The Expanse and you would think there's always gravity on the ships because they're all just walking around. But you start to realise more and more, oh, hang on. No, it's the boots. I was just about that. They're in total the zero G, yeah. apart from the boots holding them to the ground. And that's not been done before. Because we always assume there's, you know, either you watch films and there's always a spin mm-hmm. creating gravity, which fair enough, and they do have a ship that can create spin gravity at one point, but only one. And I just feel that helps with the realism. Because, yes, in 200 years, we're not going to have developed artificial gravity without, like I say, spin gravity works. It's a scientific fact, uh, in a scientific way. But, yeah, without that, without something spinning it, pushing it to the out, creating the gravity, how would you create gravity on a ship easily? You wouldn't, because it's too hard. So you just make sure you've got boots that stick you to the floor, and that's all you need. And the thing is, is it's not a throwaway thing of, oh, look, these are boots. It comes up on numerous occasions throughout the entirety of the series. Somebody will click their shoes and yeah, they'll be landing on the foot. And it, it, it becomes an important point to remind you that, yes, they're in a zero-G environment. It has a huge impact. Um, 
We've also got, uh, you know, dealing with injuries and things like that at various points. Somebody might get injured. They get shot. They get hurt. They get crushed against something. Well, you're in a zero-G environment. That's not good. That, that blood is not going to coagulate. But here's my problem. Go on. So in, a, in, in, I think it's Series 3, we do get a lot of people injured. Yes. And we're pretty much told in one scene that having, an intern, having internal bleeding mm. in zero-G is essentially a death sentence. Yeah. How was everyone okay in season one and two when they got shot then? Okay. How is everyone okay going forwards that? that I can explain that. You know, someone gets shot in zero G yeah. in this particular thing, yeah. and suddenly it's the end of the world. Yeah. But last series we had someone get shot, yeah. and no one was panicking. There no one was going. By the way, there this is, is a death sentence. There is a reason for that because oh. at the point where they are in season three, they are trapped in a speed zone. They have no way for the ship to be able to pull a speed at which gravity is then imposed. No, I, I understand that. But if a lot of the Belter ships and like the Rossi and that, they've never got gravity. Yes, they have. It's it's the gravity, the, the, the G is the speed at which they go, which is where later on they have to take drugs. When they're going at She's a certain speed, they have to go at a certain speed, they have to take drugs. Because their body is not going to be oh. able to cope with the Gs. Oh. So that is how, when does... in this speed zone... Okay, then I'm really confused. I'm not sure the TV show explains that. I properly. thought it did, very I, much so. The only time I've known people to take drugs in it, or be, is, is Holden, in the latest series, is injecting himself with something that becomes relevant later on. And is a treatment for cancer, I believe, isn't yes. it? Yes. And then Nagata is taking drugs that I was under the impression were too much. Oh, no, I'm when they're in their chairs. And muscle density. When they're in their chairs. When they do the right. flip and burns and yeah. things like that. When they have the, and they've got the tubes and it goes into that and you see this horrible, horrible liquid and they're sitting there going, and it's like ice in their veins. That is the chemicals which are imposing yes. like, the restrictions on. Now, I get that in the Mars. When Bobby and Avasarala are in a ship, yeah, it yes, occurs I know what multiple times throughout the series. Mm. Uh, it's one of the first things in the first episode because they do a flip and burn because they're going after the ship, like the first so, ship so, that I come across. Sorry, come back to come back to the behemoth, yes, or the Medina as yeah. it ends up being called. Yeah, that only generates gravity through spin gravity. Correct. It's motionless. Yes. a lot of the time. Yes, when we see it. They don't have the spin gravity going most of the time, it would appear. Yeah. So they're all in zero G. Yeah. All the time. Because uh, the ship isn't moving forwards, therefore point, it's not generating G. At that point, yeah. And they haven't got the spin turned off. Yeah. We'll get there. Uh, well, I think we'll get we'll get to that a little bit a little bit later. Cause I just because they thrown up the that you can't have one thing and not the other. If if belters can cope in fake gravity and artificial mm -hmm. gravity, why can't they cope in normal gravity? Because, because it's still pressure being exerted by yeah, gravitational force again, that they're not ah, used but, to in the belt. See, but again, this is the thing, like at various points, Naomi, when she gets to season four and she takes the bone density drugs so that she can go down to the yeah, planet, yeah, it doesn't necessarily sync up with her straight away. No, no. At various points, they talk about it on the ship. Yes, as a human, Holden, and as a Martian, Alex, and as a human, uh, from Earth, sorry, I should say, um, Amos, they can deal with the restrictions of G's a little bit easier. Whereas... Somebody born in the belt can't deal with that. Mm. So that's one of the things. It doesn't necessarily emphasise it as much in the TV series, but it certainly does occasionally in the books. And it emphasises the fact that if this carries on, Naomi's going to be the first one to die because 
her body is not built it, to withstand yeah. the pressures. So, yeah. but um, yeah, I did get that. But that's fine. But uh, so anyway, that's zero G, and there's many other things that kind of come along with that. There's a beautiful scene where Alex is drinking beer. And then he kind of does a little spin and a little rotation at one point. Just a beautiful, wonderful scene. Again, emphasising that impact of Zero-G. Um, we've got space in general. Uh, the Battle of the Ships. There's no shields at this point. There's no shields and shit like that. When there's a tungsten steel, boom, coming through their ship, it flies past their head and destroys yeah. a monitor. And that realistic kind of damage to a ship... If it, if it was an inch closer, it would have destroyed their fusion drive and boom, they would have been blown out of the skies. Again, there's no tractor beams. It's grappling hooks, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And when the grappling hook fires through the shell of the ship, it fires through the fucking shell of the ship and yeah. opens and then pulls back again. You know? Yeah. Um, we've got food, which is grown in vats. And on Ganymede, which comes up a little bit later, is kind of the source for the system because of the way that they've put mirrors and how they grow the food, etc., etc., for the masses of the system because... There's a huge population now. There are billions of people. There's not a small population anymore. Mm. There are billions throughout the entire system. Yeah. Air and breathing on the ships is very important. Prax, whose uh, character comes up in season two, eventually kind of explains the the significance of having plants in space and on stations and yes, on ships they and things like that. Undertake a project, don't they, to sort of put loads of plants? Yeah. In the ship Prax, and stuff. Prax, uh, Prax panels, as Amos later calls them. Um, you've got communication with type beam. It's not just, boom, here's a, you know, I'm hailing this person and I'm going to get an immediate response. No, there is a 20 minute delay between the message I'm sending here and when it's received on Earth. Again, a realistic impression of the actual... Because again, like you say, like. they're doing type beam is a laser beam and they literally fire a laser out the front that contains yeah. the beam. Because yeah. that's what you would do. Um, so I suppose I wouldn't really call it science, but the, the one last thing I've probably got to say is, uh, not on the science, but the, more of the cultural thing, is uh, is the language of the Belters. Yeah. They've created their own language. And, it's, you sort know, of, it's, it's a broken English, really, isn't it? But yeah. there is the loader. Belter loader. Belter loader. I don't know what that means, but they say it quite a lot. I think it means belter, as in brother. Uh, oh, okay. You know, that, okay. that kind of, uh, you're a belter loader, you're, yeah. you're a brother of mine, or a sister of mine, or... You know, belters have this sense of family for all other belters. Mm. So, uh, yeah. and yeah, that's, like I say, I think the science is one of the, it, this is science fiction, but a lot of this is is realistically science yeah, fiction Yeah, absolutely, well. I totally agree with that. Um, any comments from you? I, uh, just some general stuff. I mean, again, uh, well, I remember watching season one in the first place, mm. and I remember th thinking, because I, I, I feel like it was in that, the sci-fi glut that mm. we've discussed before, uh, you know, in the pro I think it was the Alien episode, where we say I was saying that Prometheus came around at a time, uh, and Pacific Rim came around, and there was a glut of, uh, there wasn't sorry, not glut, the opposite. There, there was a gap. There, there wasn't mm. a huge amount of sci-fi. Uh, I remember watching season one and just thinking, fucking hell, this is the show I needed, but had no idea that mm. I needed. You know, uh, it, it's a fantastic meaty sci-fi series yeah. and and by that i mean there's as you said there's so much depth to it all the characters are well-rounded whether they're fully explored or not is another matter due to time constraints but they all have three-dimensional personas and they're, they're all real they feel like real people who could be could exist um there's you know you can see the mythos out there for it there's tons of stuff we could still go back to from the TV series and look at a bit more detail. Mm -hmm. Like you say, like the, the the origins of Mars and the terraforming and mm -hmm. stuff like that and how they got to where they are and things like that. Um, I think 
it's. I think you can c make a comparison to Star Trek. Mm -hmm. um, in in as much as I mean, it doesn't look anything like it because it's shot more like a movie, whereas Star Trek shot more like a TV show yeah. and looks that way. But it, it is mixing the best stuff. It's mixing politics, race, class, all things that we can identify mm -hmm. with, and then throwing them into that future space thing. And there's still a problem. Yeah. Yeah, so what? All the Earthers are banded together, all the Martians are banded together, all the OPA are banded together, all the Belters are banded together. But then they're going off against each other because human nature is yeah. that we can never band together over one thing. Mm -hmm. um, Although, as we see as it goes through, there is the potential there for everyone coming together to face a, a different threat or a different possibility themselves. Um, but yeah, it mixes that stuff with the, the brain twisting sci-fi that's that, that you love from the core of the, the Star Trek episodes you know you knew if you know you had an episode where John Luke had to go and negotiate the latest trade treaty between but it was always very you know the politics was always very well researched it was always reflecting what was going on on earth at that time in our world yeah. and just putting it up there and saying look these problems still exist they're still being dealt with by other cultures and now we've progressed past it we're the ones showing them how to solve these things um, I think uh, I, I'd mentioned the direction because uh, TV shows. I don't. I don't feel like TV shows. Uh, you know, directors get enough credit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and they're, they're, a lot of time in TV, I think the direction is okay. You know, or average, or 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 you know, nuts and bolts. Call it what you will, but you know, nothing special, but solid and workable. Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know most of it's the same for this, but there there are some really lovely choices. That, you know, some flair shown. Uh, some lovely spinning shot choices and uh, going into like the production values which is would be my next point is I, I love the way the Rossi's set up mm -hmm. the set that they have for Rossi because mm -hmm. it's multi-leveled and you can see people up and down so it makes it again feel like a real thing yeah. whereas as much as I love Star Trek you walked onto the bridge of the Star Trek and that's a set yeah it's obviously a set yeah Whereas the Rossi doesn't feel like a set, even though organic, it, is, it feels, feels like a ship yeah. that you're stood inside of, you know? Um, and also the CG that they Fantastic. use. I mean, again, the production value I think is amazing. The amount there's of, a couple of sets and things like that. On the CG that I will get to mm. because there's certain scenes where, I mean, I literally was just like on the edge of my seat. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just made note about the hybrids, which is a full CGI yes. creation. Yeah. They don't look that bad. No. I mean, they're right, a bit ropey in a couple of places. The first time you see it, you're like... They look really that good, looks, particularly in season right, three yeah. when you see sort of the development of a hybrid. That looks cracking, yeah. considering it's network TV. I mean, you know, I'm thinking back to our good old favourite Smalley and how much I bastardised, <laughs> yeah. you know, Doomsday and all that sort of shit. And I mean, even the modern Arrowverse, God almighty, you know, the CG they use there is crap. And this was being made by sci-fi, you know, it was network television originally. And I just it, the production value astonishes me from that perspective. Um, yeah, I think that's about all I've got to say generally. Then, so yeah. yeah, I've just got some points for the seasons. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll start going through the seasons now. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not going to dwell too much. Just for for those of you at home, I'm not going to dwell too much on the seasons <coughs> because I'm going to kind of go through them one by one and just kind of address certain big points or big mm -hmm. kind of uh, situations which occur but I'm encouraging every single person that's listening or watching this to go and watch this show. You can find it on Amazon yes. Prime. I would also encourage you if you're a reader to go and read these books as well because honestly I absolutely love them. Um, but let's get into it. Let's get into okay. season one. So basically season one starts with uh, Julie Mao 
a girl who is trapped inside the confines of a ship. Doesn't We don't really know much more than that. She manages to break her way out, comes across this weird looking alien goo, and basically screams because it looks alive. That is the crux of, mm -hmm. of how this series starts. And I think that's great because it adds that science, uh, science fiction behind it. A little bit of fear, a little bit of terror, a little bit of horror. What the hell is this? What mm. the hell is out in the open? The fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown, yeah. So we kind of follow this sh the ship, the Canterbury, which Holden, Nagata, uh, Alex and Amos are all a part of the crew. And basically they're, they're sent a distress call from this ship, which Julie Mao was on. And basically this distress call wants to be batted away by the, the captain. He doesn't want to answer it because it means that they're going to be delayed and they're... they're trade of, of ice that they picked up mm. and, and he doesn't want to do it but Holden is a good natured person and this is where it kind of begins to, to set the fall for him that he wants to answer this call and yeah. does he answers this distress call logs it and they have no choice but to go to it turns out it's a trap it's been set for them and then their big ship the Canterbury gets blown out of the sky mm -hmm. and this begins the the crux of the series that the camp has been destroyed who has destroyed this ship was it Mars? Was it Earth? Was it the belt? Nobody knows, so we've got these sudden three factions kind of suddenly pitted against each other. At the same time as this is all going on, we've got Miller, who is on the space station series, who is suddenly being given this case of a missing person, Julie Mao. So he suddenly becomes engrossed in this investigation. Who is this girl? Where is she? How do I find her? You get the feeling that he's a shady character, that he's not necessarily Mr. Greencut, but he's probably going to get the job job done, or a kidnap job, as mm -hmm. he refers to it. So that begins to unfold, and he begins to unravel more and more of a conspiracy that's going on involving Earth, mm -hmm. involving Mars, involving the Belt. Who is the power at play here? We obviously learn later on. While this is going on, the Rossi gets rescued by the Mar. Uh, sorry, the uh, the crew of the future Rossi gets rescued by Martians. It's touching. The Tashi. Tashi. The Tashi, yeah. Tashi, no. So they get rescued by Martians, taken on board, interviewed, grilled. You know, there's this cool scene where the Martians, because, again, it's in the future, they take these drugs where they just pop this little round ball in their mouth and then suddenly their like, pupils become fully dilated and they can pick up every twitch and every, you know, micro every micro-expression. Yeah. There we go. Um, which is just, again, uh, one of those beautiful little things. You kind of watch it. They're being grilled, they're being interviewed, and all this is going on. Eventually, the Martian ship is taken over by these unknown cohorts at this point. The crew of the future Rossi basically managed to escape onto the Tarshi with one of the Marines who dies, and they're left in charge of the ship. Eventually, they christen it the Rossinate, um, and Fred Johnson comes to help them out, gives them a bit of information, leads them on the right path to discovering who blew the Canterbury up and why. So it begins this kind of whole story of, okay, what's going on? Who, who's actually in control of the system? Uh, and as we learn, there's more and more going on that series itself and Anderson Doors, so this is where Jared series, Harris just is. Series, just to stop yeah. there for a second, series is a station within the belt. Yes, is it? correct, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's one of the, it's one of the, my head. yeah, it's kind of co-owned, they suppose, by Earth and Mars, kind of, it's, it's an important part of the belt. Would that but be it's basically similar to Titan? Yes. Tyco Station. Yeah, be yeah, another that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so while this is all going on, um, you know, they're basically going down the threads of what this whole attack on a ship and 
other attacks on Martian ships and what does this all mean? Mm. And eventually it leads them to, okay, we need to go to Eros, which is another of, I think it's Jupiter's moons, I believe. Uh, and they, they basically, they, they learn that Julie Mao, they don't necessarily all follow the same thread, but they all realize that all signs are pointing to Eros. So Miller, having been fired because he's getting too deep into things, goes to Eros himself. So does the Rocinate. They manage to get the ship and they head out there. Eventually they all meet together um, and it's just a wonderful scene because they meet up together. He basically saves their lives uh, and it's just brilliant because... Yeah, it's Miller Mil saves the Rocinate. Yeah, Rossi's crew. Yeah. And it, so he turns up, he saves their lives. They go to investigate Judy Mao's room and basically she's just in a puddle on the shower floor covered in this weird blue light electric looking crystal crystal stuff, stuff. and you just kind of go yeah that's not a good one for her. and you get the whole flashback episode basically detailing what happened to her she gets infected with this proto molecule she takes it to eros and becomes basically patient one or patient patient zero i should say another this faction of of people who's actually turns out is led by her own father juliet mao's father jules pierre mao is actually the guy in control of this whole operation and all of these scientists arrive at the station, put some lasers on her and expand this protomolecule, basically with the intent of it taking over the whole of Eros Station. And that in of itself becomes a huge, huge part because they start vaccinating people, but it's not a vaccine, it's actually to encourage the protomolecule to accelerate. They put people in radiation chambers, which unfortunately affects Miller and Holden. So they become radiated, you know, they become infused with huge doses of radiation poisoning, which becomes prevalent a lot but later in, in season four. So they basically spend the last kind of episode trying to get out of the station because the station itself is falling apart. Like everybody is dying left, right, and center. Everybody is becoming infected. Yeah. Those in control are trying to shut it, you know, shut anybody else from getting out of there. And it becomes this whole story of them trying to get off the station, trying to avoid this alien proto-molecule mm. and just trying to get away from it all. I mean... Absolutely. It's the, the some of the final scenes of it where the proto-molecule just kind of grabs this guy from the middle of the station and pulls him up into the middle of Eros and you've just got this blue tinge of light mm -hmm. and you realise that this is building... The best way of describing it is it's building a computer. Yeah. And it's just building and building and building. And, I mean, what a first series. Like When I watched that, first of all, I was like, I was literally on the edge of my seat going, I want more. I want more. Absolutely. Same here. Because it, it finishes in the middle. <laughs> it doesn't finish the arc as you would expect from a normal TV show to finish the arc at the end of the season no. and set the thread up for the next season. No. Um, yeah, I, I feel... Uh, I, I, I think it's really intelligent the way they put it together at the beginning. Because like you say, you've got the, the crew of the Ross and Anti coming together over the course of a season dealing with the sci-fi, the deep sci-fi aspect. And then you've got Miller running his thread, and as you say, they run parallel for most of the series and then dovetail at the end, which is great. That's good storytelling. But Miller is very much a, a flat foot, I want to call him. From He feels like he's just come out of a film noir. Yeah, he's sh shoe gum. Is it shoe gum? Uh, gumshoe. Gumshoe, sorry. Gumshoe. Gumshoe. Get it yeah, right. Get flat it right. foot or a gumshoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that instantly, for, you know, if you're not. If your mind isn't going with the sci-fi, that's our way in. Mm -hmm. That's something. That's a trope we can understand. Mm -hmm. Is the 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 noir flatfoot detective who's going to kick down every door he needs to to answer the question, you know, to solve his case, and he doesn't care 
who it hurts and what he finds out at the time. He just wants to answer, you know, solve the case. And I feel that was a really effective way to bring any non-sci-fi familiar people, mm-hmm. people not familiar with the concepts of what the the books and that are dealing with, you know, and what the show deals with. It's a really good way in so that you get familiar with him and then as he learns the sci-fi stuff that he doesn't know about, you're informed as he goes along and you feel like you're getting those waves of knowledge yeah. and going, oh shit, so this connects to the, ah, you know, and you're, yeah. we're discovering things as he is. Yeah. And, and that's really good because when it does dovetail, you, you, you understand what's going on. Yeah. Like you say, the, uh, the camaraderie of the, the crew of the Rossi, Builds because they, you know, at one point they're at loggerheads. They want to fight each okay. other because they don't know who's a traitor, who, who's genuine. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, by the end of that series, you just like, yeah, this is a family unit now. They they, they form that bond and it works and and it's good. I mean, without you know, not talking about Avasarala back on Earth, she's obviously got the politics going down. She's trying to keep the system from imploding. Yes, trying to stop the various factions. We're watching then yeah. go and find out what's going on with the camp and what happened, and him trying to find out where. Julie Mao is, mm. yeah, we're watching Avasarala, and obviously it's kicking off between Mars mm. and Earth and the OPA. From She's the just belt. trying to put the pieces and together. Because they're, they're all blaming each other for destroying mm. the camp, and they don't know who did. So yeah, she's trying to, to, like you say, put the pieces together and figure out what the hell's going on from a political point of view. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good. Like I say, it mixes, like I said in my first bit, this Star Trek, it's, it's that mixing the, the, the politics, the race, the class, the stuff we understand mm. that we deal with in our daily lives. It still, ex- you know, can exist further into the future, even when, you know, we wouldn't think it would necessarily, yeah. but it does. I mean, they talk about, uh, you know, they talk about the ships, they talk about the gravity, they talk about the medicines, mm. they talk about, they talk about the things that we discussed on the science side, and it's not a throwaway point. They explain themselves and mm. they make very good points as to why things are the way they are. Yeah. So again, you're not a novice sci-fi person coming in going, oh, okay, this is... No, no, they're actually giving the explanations to you, which I, I think is, is wonderful. Mm. Uh, so we move into season two, um, which begins with kind of the introduction, uh, introduction, I should say, sorry, uh, Bobby Draper, yeah. um, who is a character to begin with. You're not really sure. She's a Martian Marine. Clearly has this idea that she can go out and fight every single Earther, as she likes to call them, and basically win the day. Um, she's just a grunt at this moment in time. She, she's gunnery sergeant, and, and we don't really know much about her, but she seems like a bit of a grunt. Little do we know that she's going to become such a huge point. Uh, the tension between Earth and Mars is even more prevalent now, because Eros has been quarantined. There's some shit going off there. Um, Miller effectively becomes part of the Rossi crew, which is a beautiful, wonderful thing to see. They have this wonderful meal sitting around, like Alex has sorry, made them this lasagna, and they're all sitting around, and after Amos and Miller have had a little bit of a scuffle between the two, they sit down and he, Miller just tells them about this story about how they basically you know, busted a, a cheese uh, cheese syndicate or a bunch of people that stole a load of cheese and tell me all the cheese went missing and everybody have it and it's just this wonderful scene and there's just this sense of family sat around I like to say I think it's, it's around that time when in the season two around probably around that time when I did like say I, I there was a picture of them or something or a shot of them all together and I was like huh yeah mm-hmm. you're the proper you are the crew of the Rossi yeah so it's really nice the you know it progresses that they basically want to find out who has been in control of Veros? What the fuck is going on there? They want to find the people responsible because it's a tragedy. Hundreds of thousands of people have died on this station for the sake of a science experiment, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so they, they go after these scientists and 
Miller becomes part of the ground crew, not on the Rossi, but you know he's, he's still part of them. They break in, they kill loads of scientists because they're, they're, they're with a bunch of people that don't really know any better. They manage to save one guy and they're quizzing him. The guy in charge, they're quizzing him and he makes such a compelling argument for what they're doing that it scares Miller to the point where he shoots him in the head. And that's just brilliant because it's not a case of, okay, we're just going to see this guy. No, boom, pulls a gun and just blows his brains out. And I can't remember whether I'd read the book or, or watched the, the series first, but I remember when I got to that point, I was like, well, shit, that just mm. happened, didn't it? Mm. Um, I mean, yeah. It, ju it, yeah, it just becomes a little bit more real at that mm. point. Like, okay, people are going to die and, and this shit is not going to go down. Yeah, cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at this point, a good, good portion of the crew are kind of in the know now. Okay, right, there's this proto-molecule out there. The, the system is beginning to understand the significance of this. Now... Miller at this point is is shunned by by Holden because he's just killed a guy and that completely goes against Holden. And I understand that and there's then that that tension there. While all of this is going on, again Abrasarala is still back on earth trying to unravel this mystery. Yeah. Suddenly finding that the undersecretary uh, undersecretary Aaron Wright seems to be part of this conspiracy as well as Jules Pierre Mao. Um, an assassination attempt goes out on her. So she then recruits somebody she's known from her past, a guy called Coiter. I can't, again, he's, he's one of these actors I wish I'd made a note of because he's absolutely fucking brilliant in this. He really, really plays well against her uh, because he just takes none of the shit that she offers. And, and I absolutely love that. That's it, because she's a very dominating woman. Oh, isn't God, she? Yes. she will. And I, 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 I think that's what they played with when they cast the actress. They were like, Cool, you're gonna swear a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's weird seeing yeah. someone who you associate, you know, she carries herself very much almost like a queen. Yes. You know? Very and then regal. To, exactly. And you see her in the news footage and you're like, oh yeah, I see why. You know, and then you hear her in the back rooms and she's like, oh, you fuckers. You yeah. Fuck, this is not <laughs> yeah. wrong. Fuck. You fuck. think that's bad? You should read her in the books. Not she bad. is a fucking potty mouth in the books. <laughs> it is brilliant. Uh, she has an assistant in the books who she treats absolutely appallingly. Yeah, and he kind of relishes it as well because he's just like, oh, we're there. A bit like Lloyd from Entourage. Yes, a little bit, yes. Um, so, you know, uh, at the same time as this, uh, Bobby is is on a ship, you know, being deployed, you know, to, to Ganymede to kind of farm detail, as she likes to call it. She, she wants to go out there and she wants to fight. Uh, she wants yeah, to go a, out and she's fight a the marine, marines. isn't she? Yeah. She likes the marine she, bit. She's, she's up, up for a there kick ass. She's up for a fight. She's up for a battle. So while this is going on, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what the fuck do we do about the Eros incident? What what are we going to do? And Miller comes up with the idea of sending the Naboo, which is a huge ship. And again, the CG for this is just tremendous because uh, is it the Mormons uh, have have had this ship constructed so that they can. It's take a it out generation the colony ship, isn't it? Or generation something? colony ship, yeah. And so they can take it out in the stars to a new sun for a new home. And this thing is absolutely enormous. Absolutely enormous. And it's it's kind of been picked up a bit in the first season, slowly into the second. And Miller comes up with the idea of basically firing this ship at Eros to destroy it. And everybody kind of goes along with it. Holden becomes part of the plan as well. And the Rossi needs to be there to make sure and manage any kind of any resistance that's going to happen. So they come up with a plan to go to, to Eros to, to, to blow the thing up and send it into the sun. Mm. As expected, shit does not go the way it's supposed to. Of course. 
Miller gets Miller gets stuck on the on on Eros because the bomb that he's holding is about to go off if he doesn't put his finger on it every minute or so. The Rossi crew doesn't really know this until the last possible minute. And as this all goes about, the Navu is getting closer, and then suddenly the whole asteroid just shifts completely out of the way, defying physics as they know it, because the proto-molecule has become aware of their plans to yeah, sabotage which it. we didn't know at this point, yes. that the proto-molecule was reacting yeah. and was a, a, an entity, yes. a, a, you know, a sentient life form, like yeah. so. so watching like the ship move, and then the whole asteroid just kind of shift out of its way, again, and Miller's just like, uh, what just happened there? Mm. The crew is just like, just completely flabbergasted as to what's just transpired because they have no idea. They suddenly start crunching the numbers, realizing how much heat, and again, this goes back to the science, how much heat of a fusion reactor can cause this to do this, and again, the science is all there, and they have to figure out what the hell are we gonna do to destroy this. Now, again, I don't wanna go too much into the details because there's a beautiful scene of, of Miller kind of taking the bomb inside there and finding a protomolecule version of Judy Mal. And the little interaction there, and, and basically trying to stop Eros from flying into Earth, because at this moment in time, that's exactly what's going to happen. Eros is in tr on a trajectory to Earth. We understand a little bit later, and again, I'm encouraging people to watch it or read it, to understand the significance why. The Rossi at this point is, is laser targeting the place, and because of the speed that it's traveling, might li literally liquefy themselves, by chasing it at the speeds that it is, because the heavy Gs that they're facing are causing them to have nosebleeds. They're like, they're, their eyes are suddenly bloodshot because of the Gs, but eventually Miller you know, manages to convince them to pull back, that he's got it in control, which again shows that significance of the relationship he's yeah. built up with the crew. Yeah, he's built the trust with them and, and they're part of his, yeah, they're part of the family, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Eros gets sent out and, uh, and, and he ends up crashing into Venus. Again, the, the details of that, I'd, I'd encourage people to watch the reason why. And that causes a, a huge instance because it's like, wow, okay, the Eros instant has happened. But this isn't even the, the this is the middle of the series now. That we're, we're hitting the second yeah. half of the series now. So yeah, for Gunny, Bobby, Draper. Yes. Because she's Gunnery Sergeant, as yeah. you say. So they kind of takes a backseat Gunny a little bit sometimes. But I adore her. Yes. When she was introduced, I think the actress is perfect casting as well because she's quite a tall, yes. stocky built yes. girl, isn't she? Yeah. And she, she absolutely bang on for that part. Especially, again, as she develops up and, and you know, there's scenes where she's against two guys mm -hmm. and she's just sitting there going, look, I'll happily kick your ass again if you want, mm -hmm. but can we just do it this way instead mm -hmm. this time? And, it, and the guys are like, yeah, that's fine. Because they know they would get their asses kicked because yeah. she's fucking hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really like her. Um, I've got to be honest, I, uh, it, it gets me a little bit this bit because we're at episode five mm -hmm. when the Eros incident later, when Eros goes into Venus. and But that's the end of the arc that we've been following since the beginning of the season. Yeah. And it's just really weird for yeah. me. It feels odd because yeah. I'm so used to the arc ending at the end of the season. I think they understood the significance of that because they do change uh, yes. seasons three and four follow much more of the linear of the book. So my assumption would be yeah. that book one yes. is the end of 
Eros going into Venus. Correct. Yeah. Which yeah. makes sense. And that's fine. I'm glad that they gave it enough time to breathe then, yeah. rather than trying to stick to your confines and say, right, we've got 13 episodes to cover this book, go. Yeah. I'd um, rather you spill it out if you want to tell the better story. So yeah, book one covers season one and the first half of season two. Book two covers the first half of, sorry, the second half of season two, the first half of season three, and book three is contained within season three and book four is yeah. season four. Yeah. But again, has little shades of, uh, of, of future books as well, but we'll get to those as yeah, we get to the, to the points. So at this point then, the Eris incident has happened. Um, at this moment, Bobby is now deployed to Ganymede, uh, and then suddenly there's uh, there's the Battle of Ganymede, which occurs, which basically Gunny and her team are attacked, or they believe to be attacked by some oncoming Earth Marines, and it's not, it's a protocol, proto-molecule soldier at this point. Oh, the hybrid, and the thing, the hybrid, yeah. Uh, and the thing looks scary as shit, and he just rips through her entire team, literally ripping them limb from limb mm. out of these massive exoskeletons, and just completely tears the manual. And this is where the is it the mirrors on, on above Ganymede completely shattered because of the battle in space come crashing down, which leads us into Prax, mm. who is a scientist on Ganymede who's living there with his daughter. Uh, and he basically has no idea what the hell happened. He basically wakes up on a ship which is carrying refugees, and he's like, "Where's my daughter?" And his daughter is missing. So May, isn't it? May, yes. So it's now suddenly a search for him to find out what the hell has happened to his daughter. Um, so he gets, you know, his daughter has been kidnapped essentially, and he wonders what the hell's going on. He gets put on this refugee ship now because they're being rescued by Belters. Suddenly, the Belters are like, "We we don't want part of this inner's war." So they, they space, as, they, as the, the phrase is for them, they space anybody from Earth or Mars and they just flush them out into space. And it's a hugely harrowing scene. But they don't do it to Prax because, no, no, you're one of us, you're a belter. And it's just like, again, the class system, the, the way that the societies are, are completely different now at this point. Um, I don't know whether you've got anything more to add at this point. Uh, no, I mean, like you say, I... Uh... But it depends. By the time, because yes, Prax is then. That's the next story, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So, the crew of the Rossi end up in Prax's storyline, and yes. Prax joins them to go off and try and find his yeah. daughter. And that's where we end the season. Is in the middle of that search. Yeah. Because we're in the middle of a book. I now understand. Yes. Um, but yeah, I you know it's nice, and again, it's a new character coming in. And it's like some of them, because when we get to seasons three and four, there's new characters introduced, and part of me was like, huh, I wonder whether that character didn't get introduced until this book, or whether this character had been a background character in the first two books, but obviously we don't have time to cover them properly in a season. Yeah. So you just wait till the season, then they're actually important, and then you just make sure you chuck an episode in explaining who they are and where they've come from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt I, I liked him, and he worked again in the dynamic of the team. He just he gelled, he fitted in, he yeah. became part of the family. Yeah, they have taken liberties, I will say, with some characters from the books to the TV show, as they have to. Uh, the character of Drummer uh, kind of envelops in season three, envelops another character from the books, um, and his name is Bull, and basically he doesn't exist. His role gets expanded into Drummer's, and there's a reason for that because. Adding too many new players to the to the board Absolutely. becomes a bit of a problem. Um, 
But yeah, so as this goes on, we've got Prax who meets up with the Rossi crew, who are on Tashi Station, save Fred Johnson's life from mutiny. From, Tyco. Uh, Tyco, not Tashi. Sorry, yes, Tyco Station. Uh, and save Fred Johnson and, and his, uh, his crew basically from mutiny, from other OPA agents, the Outer Planets Alliance. Um, and, and basically, he saves the crew, and then he lets them go on their way to, to go to Ganymede, even though he doesn't agree with it because they've spotted a signal which could lead to the proto-molecule over there. Mm. Obviously there is, because we know that there was a soldier there. Bobby, at this point, has been saved. Uh, she's the only survivor of everything that happened on Ganymede and is ferried off to Earth to basically sit in front of the people from Mars and Earth and give an explanation as to what happened and how it all transpired. And she begins... Uh, she begins, sorry, the unravelling of this conspiracy within her own government. Mm. She doesn't believe it to begin with, and then slowly but surely, the evidence is so much in front of her that she has no choice but to, you know, understand. And I think what's that's something on. you see as well: is the Martians are blind to any wrongdoing on their part. Quite yes. a lot of the time, they 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 won't accept the notion that someone from their culture could be behaving in this way yeah. or behaving in that way or lying to authority or whatever yeah. because it seems so against their culture yeah. um, her interactions with Avasarala were always going to be wonderful and you know she's asking her you know Avasarala's just asking some questions and they're like do, do you have to answer this she's like I'll ask anything I fucking want thank you very and again it's just poignant she's like I'm a senior member of this team I would do whatever the fuck I like thank you very much and then their interactions a little bit later when Bobby kind of breaks out and gets away from the Martians and it ends up kind of being a confidant of Abbasarala and kind of becomes her bodyguard as, as, as things progress. Which, I mean, is just a brilliant pairing. Those two together is just fantastic, as we later learn in, in, in Season 3 as well. So basically, they've gone to Ganymede, the, the crew of the Rossi have gone to Ganymede to try and find some semblance of Prax's daughter to try and find some semblance of the proto-molecule and exactly what is going on there. And they get caught in further into the conspiracy. They meet some scientists. The hybrid, as you correctly labelled it, breaks out of its prison because they accidentally throw a grenade in and it gets set free, which yeah. is just fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it breaks <laughs> free. And then that's it. There's the hunt for them. But at the same time, Naomi is still feeling the guilt uh, of the Eros incident because she didn't save enough people so she's like okay you could do that I'm going to go and try and rescue as many people as I can she starts to, I think they, they, they start to introduce the seeds of her separation yes they, they, it, it kind of upset me because you can see it coming and I was like no no yes. I, this, is the, this season is the first time I felt like you were all a family yes. don't start sowing the seeds of dissent to split you back yes. up again but of course yeah over the course of a season it, it does happen that way, and and the seeds are planted for you know what becomes relevant later on. Yeah. Um, so again, it's, it's there's a wonderful speech where that she gives to people, basically saying we can only save like 50, 50 or so people. That's it. There is not enough air on the ship. There are hundreds of you trying to get on it. We can't save all of you. And it's the wonderful speech that she gives, and tells this massive bulking guy who's basically trying to you know sort the people out to go on the ship. And she tells him the story, and, and eventually he understands the, the significance of her losing her Belter brothers and sisters. They all lost brothers and sisters, as, as, uh, as she puts it. And eventually he places her, and she's like, no, you have my spell. And then eventually, no, he puts her in the airlock, and he's like, your job's not done yet. Mm. And the rest of the Belters are stood there. After having a bit of a panic, they accept their fate, that they're going to die. 
but they do it with dignity. And that is one of the really poignant moments of that season Absolutely. as well. Naomi knows that she cannot save anybody else, has no choice. She's had to, you know, medically, <laughs> you know, pretty much put Amos into a coma because he won't, you know, stop her. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant, you know, part of that series. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Mars and Earth are dealing with all of the issues, death, uh, everything that's going on in the belt. Um, Avisarala and Jules Pierre Mao meet up on his ship, and then suddenly Aaron Wright comes on, and he's just like, actually, I've just killed the head of the Martian government, get back to work, and by the way, you can feel free to kill her. And that's just like, boom, let's end it on a cliffhanger. And I was like, oh, you bastard, I have to wait a year. Yeah, that's it. Um, and you know, the, the Rossi escapes. But they've also got a starway of a proto. Oh, sorry, of the hybrid. Mm. They managed to get it out of their, uh, you know, of their their ship. They managed to kill the thing, and at the same time, a science investigation that is going on on Venus throughout this entire second half of the series, trying to understand what this proto molecule is. And their ship goes descends into Venus, and then suddenly, at the same time, and this is where it's very important because it kind of emphasises this on the book as well as the TV show that when they kill the hybrid. The same thing, at the, sorry, at the same moment on Venus is when their ship gets torn apart, and that visual for me I see is incredible. phenomenal. And again, the way that then works through is is that it's a deconstruction. Yes, they don't realise they're killing anyone; they just want to understand what's watching you. So they take it all apart into every single one of its component pieces, and then put it back together. Well, don't put it back together again, but you know, to see how it works. And yeah, it, like you say, that then continues forwards and this is the thing about the show is because it's based on books it knows where it's going mm. it knows the story it's telling it knows where this thread is going to end up so it can set stuff up way in advance and then when they actually want to pay it off it's like oh yeah 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 you set that up right didn't you i've thought about that actually but you did do it and yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's amazing but as you say i think we'll have to leave it on our own cliffhanger for that yes and so. I think we may cover seasons three and four in the next episode, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll call this one a two-parter. So for now, thank you very much for joining us uh, on our journey through The Expanse. As always, go to the YouTube page, do all the stuff you should do. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that. All the links you need are over at facebook.com forward slash the screenmasters. Facebook.com forward slash the screenmasters. Go over there, give it a like, send us a message, tell us what you think about the show, and we will see you next episode for seasons three and four of The Expanse. For now, I've been Bath. I've been Fluff. And this has been Screen Masters.